All right, are you ready to start a new sermon series or what? All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts in the New Testament. That is where we're going. And the series is called, maybe you guessed it with my clues through my weekly email, the series is called Let's Go Change the World. Let's go. We are commanded to go and make disciples. Let's go change the world. It captures what the early church did in the book of Acts. It said at one point, these are the men who have turned the world upside down with their teachings. And let's face it, the world has changed. And the church is wondering, how do we impact this world? Everything is different. This is the first book we're going through again. 11 years ago, it's been over a decade, 11 years ago we went through this book. And we're going through it now because the church is different, the world is different, and we have to find our footing, we have to recover from the hit, and we have to get going on the mission. So I'm fired up to get us going on the mission, and so we're going to go through the book of Acts. The design obviously shows a very bright world full of all these colors, surrounded by darkness, which pictures the church lighting up the world as we go out with the gospel. I want to begin by showing you a video because the Queen passed away this past week, the Queen of England. Did you see that? So sad. And one of her protectors, one of her guards uh, who accompanied her for many years did an interview and it was very touching. And I want you to, to listen to him talk about his Queen. Check it out. But there was two hikers coming towards us and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped they hadn't recognized the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? <laughs> and she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. <laughs> and he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thick, and he said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. And as quick as a flash, says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. (laughs) (laughs) So the guy said to me, well, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, (laughs) but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes round, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? (laughs) Anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows us photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. She said, I hope someone tells him who I am. Funny story of these Americans who didn't even recognize the Queen. They're asking this guy about her, and, and, and they take a picture with her, but they don't know Her Majesty. Now, I showed that video at the beginning because that's essentially the book of Acts. Jesus, the King of Kings, wants us to go and tell them who I am. I hope someone goes and tells them who I am because people don't recognize His Majesty. And so 
that feeling of someone telling them about the queen is what we do. We go and we tell them about the king, right? What he's done, who he is, what he's done for us. And they don't recognize him, that he's there, that he wants to save them. That's essentially the book of Acts. It's a book of witnesses telling people about the king. We are his messengers to go and tell the whole world who he is, what he's done, how can they be saved, how they can enter his kingdom and belong to his people and fulfill his mission. And we are determined to be a church on mission to go and tell everybody here, there, and everywhere about our king. Hey, as we get into this new book, let's pray. I'm actually going to take a knee here at the beginning of this book to ask God to bless the whole series. Let's pray. Jesus, we open up a new book, the 10th full book that we'll be going through uh, verse by verse through uh, as a church. And we just ask that you would move in your spirit every week through the messages, no matter who's preaching. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit as hearers and fill us with your spirit as teachers. We want to see the power of God flowing through the mighty Roman Empire as your people, outcasts, uneducated people, just kept telling other people about your majesty, about the king. Help us to catch a vision for what it means, whether it's down the street or, or uh, whether we're out having a meal or at work or at home or, or far away on a mission trip. Show us what it means to find our voice as your messengers and your witnesses. Make us a church that goes and changes the world. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, the first thing you can write down in your notes is this. Know the facts about Acts. We're going to do an overview of the book before we get into it here. The first chapter actually serves as like a table of contents of, uh, of the book. And so know the facts about Acts. It says in number, chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. All right, well, what do we learn already? We learned that there was a first book, and we learned it's written to a guy named Theophilus. So the traditional author is Luke. It's fairly undisputed. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And uh, it was a two-part work for Theophilus, and therefore, we know um, that it was written for a, a purpose. Theophilus is called most excellent in the book of Luke. So he's likely a Roman dignitary, perhaps even the one who funded this work. It, it would be an incredible thing that Luke would do to write these two books. It would require a lot of money, a lot of time. So he perhaps funded this. And uh, Theophilus' name means one who loves God. Imagine Luke in the gospel of Luke going and sitting down with uh, with Mary or, or, or with the Roman guard who was at the tomb. He went and he investigated everything um, because he wanted Theophil Theophilus to know um, what had happened. It says in Luke 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theoph Theophilus, listen, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke investigated this so that Theophilus could have certainty concerning the things that were taught. So um, Luke went out, got the facts, wrote the Gospel of Luke. Then the book of Acts tracks the uh, birth and the growth, the development of the church. Jot this down. The author, Luke, was a Gentile and an evangelist. Luke was a Gentile and an evangelist. It's important to know he just wasn't one of those many Roman or Greek historians. 
he was actually writing, not a documentary producer, uh, he was an evangelist declaring the gospel he was investigating. He was writing to share it with everyone, and he wanted everyone to know the gospel was for them. He captured the gospel, the teachings and work of Jesus in the book of Luke, and he captured the gospel in its uh, human expansion form in the book of Acts. He was also very careful to notice, include all of the outcasts, those overlooked in society. He would frequently mention them in his books. He wanted everyone to know the gospel was for them. Paul calls Luke the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. He mentions Luke in three of his different letters. Luke was many things. He was a historian, a theologian, a missionary, an evangelist, and he was an eloquent writer with an expansive vocabulary. He was precise in his theology, and he was meticulous in his geography. He was even exact with the political terms of the day. Not easy in a Roman Empire over many different foreign nations brought together by conquest to use the exact term over five different terms for the, the officials that they encountered. He was precise. He was also an outsider, not an insider. He was a Gentile, the only non-Jew that we know of to write in the New Testament. So he was the outsider coming in and believing all this because of the testimony that he heard. Um, maybe you are somebody who doubts religion. Maybe you doubt the Bible. Maybe you find it hard to believe that these things are real. You're going to love Luke. The Bible welcomes doubters. The Bible welcomes questioners. And if you're saying to yourself, if only I could have just been back there walking around, seeing if it was really true, God gave you that. Luke, an outsider, not an eyewitness of these things, went around and verified that it was all true. Not just sitting down with people in the Gospel of Luke, but in the book of Acts, he literally at times in the book of Acts was on the boat sitting next to Paul, watching these things happen. So God can give you uh, conviction through Luke as an author. Jot this down. The date was probably A.D. 62 to 64. There's some people who think it was different dates, but that's probably the best guess as to when it was written, A.D. 62 to 64. Of course, A.D. 70 is when the temple was destroyed, so it's very much likely to be before that because none of that is mentioned. And then jot this down, the purpose was to is to strengthen our faith, as he lays out in Luke 1, 1 to 4. That was his purpose, to strengthen the faith. Uh, I want you to have certainty concerning the things that you have learned. And in the book of Luke, he captures Jesus' work on earth, and in the book of Acts, he captures Jesus' work in heaven, flowing down to earth. Now that work flows through the church, through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, through the Word of God but it is the work of Christ from heaven spilling over onto the earth. So he wants to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants us to clearly understand the faith. He wants us to know that it's for everybody, even the outcasts, the sick, the poor, women, Gentiles, the savage nations that are out there. He wants us to know the faith, understand it, and embrace it. Jot this down. A general outline of the book is the ministry of Peter is chapters 1 through 12, and the ministry of Paul is chapters 13 to 28. That's the easiest breakdown right there. Peter's kind of center stage to begin with. Paul takes over the rest of the book. That is a general outline of the book. Luke writes in the first person often. In chapter 16, chapter 20, again in chapter 27, he was starving on a sinking ship 
in Acts 27 with Paul, shipwrecked on the island of Malta in Acts 28. And Paul mentions in 2 Timothy that Luke was Paul's only friend left sitting next to him as his days were coming to an end. So Luke was a faithful brother to Paul. He was an investigator and eyewitness to many of these things. I'm excited to hear from Luke and from him in the book of Acts. All right, so number one, know the facts about Acts. Now you know. Number two, write this down. Believe the truth about Jesus. Basically, this is what it comes down to. The whole two-volume set was made as an evangelistic witness to say, hey, look, here's his work on earth. Here's his work from heaven. Believe the truth about Jesus. You might be asking yourself, how do I get on God's mission? How does my life mean more than laundry and, and one more meal and one more clock in and clock out and one more project and, and one more assignment? And how can I feel like I'm part of something much bigger? I want to go. I want to change the world. Well, it starts when you believe the truth about Jesus. The most important question you will ever ask in your life is, who is Jesus? It says in chapter 1, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in my first book until the day when now there's some things that are true about Jesus that you have to believe. He was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we see here a lot about Jesus. And we have to believe these things are true about Jesus to get on God's mission. And I'm asking you, if Jesus stayed around 40 days after he rose from the grave, to convince them that the gospel was true. Are you convinced? It's a yes or no question, even though there might be a lot of things that happen on the way to it. But it is a yes or no question. Are you convinced that Jesus died on the cross to take away your sins, that he rose again and ascended to the right hand of God Most High, where he now rules heaven and earth, are you convinced? Jesus stuck around for 40 days and gave them many proofs to convince them to believe the truth. Maybe you're a fan of Tolkien. How many of you are Tolkien fans? And maybe the new Rings of Power series on uh, Amazon has interested you. I've seen the first two episodes. I love the Lord of the Rings. I love Tolkien. And I love the stories that come from uh, Oxford when Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were pals, but C.S. Lewis wasn't even a Christian yet. Oh, Narnia would come. Oh, there would be wonderful works written by mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis was going to be one of the most profound voices on Christianity, but he wasn't saved. And he and his friend Tolkien, here's a picture, he and his friend Tolkien would just stay up late into the night talking about faith and myth and what's true. Tolkien's in the foreground and Lewis is in the background. They stayed up until three in the morning one night talking about faith. That was the beginning of C.S. Lewis giving in uh, to the truth, to the reality of what faith is all about. And it, would, it was nine days later that C.S. Lewis 
would record his true testimony. On September 28, 1931, just nine days after Lewis's conversation with Tolkien on Christ, Lewis took the final step in embracing the divinity of Christ. He was riding in his older brother's motorcycle sidecar <laughs> on the way to a newly opened zoo. He says, just imagine him, he's just sitting there thinking. Some of you have very emotional testimonies, you know. Some of you are just sitting there thinking, right? He's in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle. He said, I know very well when but not how the final step was taken. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. He knew. He knew that he'd become a Christian. He was convinced. He called it the final step. I don't know if you're convinced. Maybe Luke will help you to be convinced. Maybe today can be your day. Whether you were convinced four years ago, 40 years ago, there comes a moment in your life when you must believe the truth about Jesus. Luke wants us to believe the truth. Jot this down. We have to believe that he died and rose again. He died and rose again. It says in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them. After his suffering, that means his death on the cross, by many proofs, appearing for 40 days. Hey, I know you might find this unbelievable. I know you might find this hard to understand. But Jesus suffered on the cross for you, and he died and he rose again. Check it out. Here's a picture of the cross from one of the movies that they made about Jesus. He, he died. He died on the cross. An excruciating, agonizing, torturous death for you. On the cross, he took away the sins of the world. He turned away the wrath of God. He died in your place. And here's a picture of what a tomb could have looked like with the stone rolling away. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away. He rose again in triumph over the grave. That is the gospel. And then after that, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So looking at verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they thought that Jesus was going to establish a political kingdom in Jerusalem. The Israelites had been ruled by Rome, and they wanted independence again. They were a little confused. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is the key verse here. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the ascension. Jesus rose and he ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory and he now rules heaven and earth. Hey, do you believe that about Jesus? Do you believe that he died and he rose again in glory? Now listen, I'm not saying, have you gone to church? I'm not saying, have you taken religious ed? A lot of people have done that. I took religious ed. Here, do you want to see a picture of young Ryan finishing CCD? How many of you did CCD, right? Here's a picture of me and my sister getting confirmed after we did CCD, right? Check out that mullet. 
did CCD. I didn't believe any of it. In fact, while we were singing the songs during the confirmation, my buddies and I were mocking it the whole time. I wrote my saint report. It was a joke to me. It wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I actually started investigating what I believe about these things. Here's a picture of me in college. Check this out. This is me with my girlfriend, Lauren, back then. <laughs> and I was that is when I was first saved. I was looking into the different world religions, taking a class on it, and finally I knelt down next to my bed and surrendered my life to Christ, and God saved me through the gospel. And I don't, do you have a story of when you were saved? Can you share that in one sentence or five, or if you had 10 minutes? Do you have a story? Are you saved? Do you believe that he died and rose again? For me, that's when I was convinced. When were you convinced? Jot this down. He is the king of heaven and earth. He is the king of heaven and earth. The idea of king, kingdom, and kingship is huge in Luke's writings. And it tells us something about God. One picture of God is he's a king. And of Jesus, he's the king of kings. It also gives us a nuance of faith that we have to believe. So do you believe Jesus is the king of heaven and of earth? Uh, here's a picture of King Charles, just not long ago. He was Prince Charles. Now he's the king. He is the king because the queen passed away. That idea of, of authority, that idea of, of this regal being who's got command over an entire realm uh, in, enlightens us as to who God is. He has authority. He has power. And the name Lord, when it's applied to Jesus, is a title of God. Lord means he has total and supreme and sovereign authority over all the world. He is king. He's king. Is he your king? Luke actually begins and ends the book of Acts with the kingdom being proclaimed. So in verse 3, it says Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus was speaking about his kingdom. And in chapter 28, the very last verse of the book, Paul, in Rome, the capital of the world, in jail, was proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's this proclamation, like that video I showed you of the man talking about her majesty, that runs throughout the book of Acts. We're talking about his majesty. We're proclaiming his kingdom. We are welcomed into his kingdom by Luke. In fact, in the book of Luke, 32 times the idea of the kingdom of God is mentioned. It's mentioned six more times in the book of Acts, but it frames out this, this whole book. What is the kingdom and how do we become a part of it? Hey, in your mind, is Jesus a mighty sovereign king over all the world? Is everything and everyone under his majestic authority and power? And when you imagine heaven, is it not your little pond of paradise? Is it the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? You're on his land. Heaven's not yours. It's his. Have you exalted him and worshipped him as the king of kings? That's who he is. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a teacher. He's not just moral or an icon or one of the greats who's lived. He is your king forever. Hey, do you believe the truth about Jesus? 
that he died and rose again in glory, that he is the king of heaven and earth, jot this down, and that he'll return soon and reign forever. That he'll return soon and reign forever. He's coming back. The angels, I love that the angels say, <laughs> while they were gazing into heaven, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So they're like this, wow. <sighs> I think if the angels came today and this happened, they would be saying, why are you staring at your phone? Am I right? Like we'd probably have already tweeted it and we'd be down here and they'd be like, get moving. Why are you staring at your phone? Let's go. He will return soon and reign forever. We see emphasized in this very first chapter the sovereignty of God over the entirety of uh, this world. Where do we see that? Well, look at verse 6. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they want to know, is, is this the end? Like, is it shows over, you're in charge, and, and there, there is coming a consummation of the kingdom of God on earth like we've never seen before. They wanted to know if it's time. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Hey, there are times and there are seasons that have been fixed by the Father's authority. Do you realize what that means? That one verse puts everything that's happened over the last 2,000 years straight under the sovereignty of God. There's times, there's seasons, they're fixed by God. It's not for you to know but they're there. God controls the calendar. He controls all of the affairs of earth. That doesn't mean that people are uh, lacking freedom to choose. In fact, in Psalms, it, it balances these things together. The kings of the earth rage and the people's plot in vain, right? Oh, they can make a big mess, but they can't change the fact that God is sovereign over all of it. So he will return soon and reign forever. It's settled. Jesus didn't say, I don't know how this thing is going to end. Good luck. I mean, the end is written. Between his ascension, when he goes, and his return, it's all under God's authority. Really, the Bible in the Old Testament is just God getting the world ready for Christ to come. The whole New Testament is just God getting the world ready for Christ to come again. It's, very, it's that simple. He will return soon and reign forever. Man, this can give you peace to sleep at night. Whatever chaos comes, persecution, uncertainty, whatever the economy brings, nations rise and fall, whatever natural disasters or political turmoil, whatever technology comes and whatever madness comes from it, the world runs on God's timetable. He has days and seasons and times he has fixed. We don't know them, but he has fixed them. How are you feeling about your life right now? Do you feel like it's just out of control? Do you feel like nobody's running this thing? Like you're just a bus without a driver? A train off the tracks. Hey, listen. God is in control. Total and complete control. You will never leave his jurisdiction. No matter what chaos comes upon the church in this book, God is in total control. And Jesus will return soon, and he will reign forever. Verses 10 to 11. Why do you stand looking into heaven? 
Jesus will come in the same way you saw him go. Hey, rest in God's sovereign command over earth. The Father controls the ages. That includes all of the craziness and chaos in this age right now. Trust him. Rest in him. He's got it. Well, number one, know the facts about Acts. Number two, believe the truth about Jesus. Are you convinced he died and rose again? He's the king of heaven and earth. He's coming back to reign very soon. Is that your faith? And then number three, jot this down, embrace the global mission of Christ. So I hope you're on mission. I hope you believe. I hope you're convinced. And then I hope you're saying, let's go. Like, I hope you're not standing there doing nothing with the angels like, it's time. I hope you capture this mission to go and you ask yourself, what does it mean for me to go? It says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So this idea of becoming a witness involves God empowering us from on high with his Holy Spirit. That doctrinal area is called pneumatology. And in the first opening chapters, there's a lot of theology we're going to cover. We're going to go deep here in this book. This isn't just history. We're going to learn about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers us as witnesses. That's coming. But in this chapter, it hasn't fully fallen yet. It's coming, but it hasn't fully happened yet. The mission is clear. Go. Go where? Well, go. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So here's a map of Jesus' day, Jerusalem. Um, And you can see here, I circled Jerusalem for you. So the disciples would end up there. They went to Galilee for a little bit, met Jesus there 40 days, and they went back to Jerusalem. They're supposed to stay in Jerusalem. That's where it all started. Jerusalem, you can see in Judea. See where it says Judea in that box circled by red? And then Samaria, those were half-Jews, you know, polluted people they would have referred to them as. You know, we're going to them too. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the world. And let's zoom out here. Here's a picture of the known world back in that day. You would, you would see the Roman Empire, and I put a yellow arrow kind of in the middle to the left off-center of where it all started. The, the world as they knew it, right there, the world, as they knew it, was going to be reached. And they had to go and reach the world. Zoom back out. Go to that picture before this one. Jesus gave them the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. What a task! And he was going to empower them by his Spirit. Now, it started in Jerusalem. Okay, so don't feel like you have to like go to Iraq to make a difference for Jesus. Like, it starts in the city you're in. Being a witness starts, like, when you leave the parking lot, you're entering the mission field. All right, so understand what going means. Going means you're on mission wherever you go, and it starts in your city. Now, yes, I'm, I'm praying that through this series, some in our church will feel called to go and surrender their lives to vocational ministry. To truly go, maybe becoming a missionary or a church planter or a, or a minister in the congregation of some sort or a pastor, or worship leader, whatever, to totally surrender your life 
and to give it to the gospel. But that's not everybody. The call to go, the command to be a witness happens anywhere your life takes you. So embrace the global mission of Christ. Have you embraced the global mission of Christ? How can I do that? Well, jot this down. Receive and rely on a far greater power. Receive and rely on a far greater power. The last thing I want is for us to develop as a church a hero complex. Here we come to save the day. That mighty mile slip. We're coming, world. Uh, You ain't got nothing for the world alone. All right. The power comes from God. So this is a drill, right? And um, no power. All right. This is you. You ain't going you ain't doing nothing. Spiritually, you need to know your Bible. Before Jesus, you're dead. Okay? Not bad. Dead. Dry bones on the ground that God has to bring back to life. So if you want to go and do anything, you need power. It's God's Spirit that gives you power to do anything in the Christian life and everything in the Christian life. When you get that... From the first step, you're not like, I'm coming with my cape to transform you. No, 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 no. <laughs> the power of God is coming. Jesus is coming, okay? Please don't develop a hero complex. Please don't misread the theme, let's go change the world. No. Look to the person next to you and say, no. Okay, no. You aren't going to do it. You're going to rely on a far greater power. Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to empower us? Well, we're born again. We have spiritual life. And he takes up residence within us. We become a temple of the living God. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that animates our Christian life and salvation. Therefore, we rely on Him. So we're empowered to be witnesses in our everyday life. And listen, it can happen anywhere life takes you. We've got a picture here of Corrie Ten Boom. Of course, you know that she survived the Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her sister did not. Very sad story. They were helping Jews flee the Nazis. They got caught and got thrown in a concentration camp. And in 1974, at the first Lausanne Missionary Conference, the World Evangelism Conference in Switzerland, she addressed the conference, and she said this. She said, When the Lord told us to witness and make disciples over the whole world, He promised you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. She said, when I was a little girl, I remember that I talked with my father and I said, Daddy, I'll never be strong enough to be a real witness and a martyr for Jesus. Her father said, when you go to travel, do I give you the train ticket or the money for it three weeks before? I said, no, Daddy, the day that I go travel. Her father said, that's what God does. You don't need to have the power to suffer for Jesus at this moment, but the moment that you will have the great honor to be a martyr for Jesus, the Lord will give you everything. Little girl, much later she's in a concentration camp. She said, where, 
When I was in prison where my sister and 95,000 other women died, I experienced what Paul wrote to the Philippians when he was also in a terrible prison. That happened when I was in that terrible prison. She said, that can happen to you too. The Lord's strength will find you. We'll never be there. She was there. And the Spirit was there with her. So I don't know where the world will take you. But you can find and rely on a far greater power that will hold you up. That is our confidence as witnesses. The Holy Spirit is not a puzzle. It's not a force. It's a divine person of the Trinity with us. God with us. Christ with us. And the Trinitarian aspect of the mission here shows that it's divine. So we have to receive and rely on a far greater power. Jot this down. We also have to belong to a glorious people. A glorious people. In verse 2 it says, He was taken up, He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. These were clearly the ordained, authorized messengers to be the foundation on which the church would be built. So they're, they're not just forming little cliques and clubs, right? This is, a, this is the church that he is building, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So belonging to a glorious people, he, Jesus presented himself using many proofs to this group, to the, this gathered people. It says in verse 5, he told them, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there will be a baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit happens one time, and it places you in the body of Christ. You are baptized spiritually into the body of Christ. Therefore, as Christians, we are spiritually one. We don't create spiritual unity. We enjoy it or we grieve it. The bond is there. So when churches have tension, you know, they're not breaking the unity. They're grieving the spirit. Take two cats, tie them by the tail, and throw them over a clothesline. Okay? Oh, they're together. <laughs> but they're not happy about it. And Christian, you are united, tied by the tail, with every other Christian who's ever lived. That's a wonderful thought. That's a great responsibility. So we belong to a glorious people. Each one of us was a little monster before we got saved. And we've become a miracle, a new creation, after the grace of Christ. So how do you feel about the church? Throughout the book of Acts, you'll have a chance to ask yourself, where's my place in the church? How do I feel about the church? What does it mean for us to go and impact this world? Maybe you don't feel like you belong right now. Maybe you're in between churches. Maybe you've never really committed to one. Maybe, maybe you want to belong to a church. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're like, I need time. How do you feel about the church? Maybe you think the church is just full of bad people or hypocrites. Maybe you've got baggage from the past and there's negative emotions associated with it. Maybe you've never even actually thought through the fact that the church is not the building. It's not the denomination you were a part of growing up. It's, that's not it. It's the community of the redeemed people of Jesus Christ united by the Spirit to go out on the mission. I think God is going to take the glasses for many of us that have been muddied up by our past, and He's going to clear them off so we can have a brilliant, shining, glittering image of what the church actually is. 
what a glorious thing the church of Christ truly is. Listen, not becoming, not will be, what it actually is spiritually is something to behold. Yes, there's brokenness. Oh, it's in here. Oh, it's in church fights. Oh, they're in here. But it's beautiful. I'd love for you to embrace the church family and become someone who's found their place among the people of God so that you actually love being a part of the church. So receive and rely on a far greater power. Belong to a glorious people. How do I become a witness? Jot this down. And then live and die for an incredible purpose. Live and die for an incredible purpose. This is the invitation here. Go. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hey, are you ready to live and to die for a glorious purpose? To go into this dark world and tell people how they can be saved, whether it's at your job at a family party, whoever you're talking to, are, have you embraced the mission to go and make disciples, to just tell people about his majesty, the king? One final story. Lauren and I went out for dinner last night with Jared, our only kid who's still at home. And so we were out on a, uh, on a date night, and a woman in our church owns a restaurant. We were talking to her, and she's just got a delightful testimony. She goes, Pastor, I just got to tell you, She's like, I'm seeing so much fruit right now from people I used to talk to years ago. I used to be on fire, you know, and, and she was rejoicing that God has used her as a witness. She told an amazing story, and I think it's going to encourage you. She said, one of the first things I did when I was a witness for Christ, she said, is I didn't live in Chicago. I came to Chicago in the 80s as part of a youth witnessing team. She said, and back then, she's like, there was still a Nazi party in Chicago. <laughs> Some of you remember that. She said, so we were out witnessing and we saw these Nazi rallies going on and we said, well, they need Jesus too. So they went to the Nazi rallies to tell people about Jesus. Well, the Nazis weren't too happy about that. She said, so there I was as a young woman. She's like, and they asked me to come to the Nazi headquarters to tell them what we're doing. And, and she's like, so I talked to the group and they're like, all right, go. She's like, so I walk into Nazi headquarters in Chicago in the middle of the 80s. She goes, they're very well dressed. They've got great boots. And she's like, they're taking this very seriously. She's like, so there I am sitting down with the head of the Nazi party. And, and uh, she said, here's what he says to me. He says, what you're doing is nice, but we're a part of a far greater cause. You should join us. She said, I don't think you understand what I'm really a part of. I'm not joining you. There's no longer a Nazi party in Chicago. And the church is still going. Now look, I don't know where you're going to end up, who you're going to be talking to, the Nazi leader of Chicago. I don't know. But when you surrender and say, here am I, Lord, send me, he will use you. He will use you. Your voice, the Spirit, will speak through you of his majesty because people don't see him and know who he is. So are you prepared at the beginning of this book to say, Lord, make me your witness. I want to go change the world. Let's pray and commit ourselves to that. Jesus, what an amazing invitation and opportunity to be your witnesses around the world. We are not able 
to do anything apart from your spirit. Thank you for giving us the power. We will need courage. We will need insight, Lord. But whenever there's an opportunity to speak about our king, help us to take it. It might be at the dinner table. might be in the break room. might be on the job site. But we pray for divine opportunities to share our faith with others, to be a light in the darkness. Whether we have five minutes or an hour or five years where we get to be around somebody who needs to see it, Jesus, use us as your witnesses. And Lord, for anyone here or online who has never been convinced that you are the Christ. I pray that based on the testimony of Luke, who walked all around the ancient world and looked into all of it and was there on the sinking ship starving, seeing it with his own eyes, I pray that they would finally say, I'm convinced. They might want to say that out loud right now. Maybe they've been putting up a fight for far too long and they're finally ready to say, I'm convinced. Jesus, be my king. Make me a witness. Help me to serve your purpose. Save me and send me for your glory. And we all pray this as a church in Jesus' name. Amen.